Welcome back to an all new installment of the Super Metal Brothers right here on the old podcast. I'm Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. We actually have for you Meshuggah's latest offering called Violent Sleeper Reason. Is music a logical career path? But first, Danny, we want to get into the news. There we do, man. It's been a big week in the Mel News. Always fun, always full of excitement. And yeah, we're trying just to build up this massive Meshuggah album, which takes a lot of listening, takes a lot of audio. Now, I'm guessing what's happened this week is people actually listened to last week's review. Now, you obviously remember we reviewed Legion's last album. Remember Legion, that last week, Danny? Alagon, Basinger, uh, Basinger. Basinger. <laughs> uh, now, I'm guessing someone from a Legion has listened to us and taken what we said pretty personally because the bass player has actually split from the band, Danny. Yeah, that's um, quite indifferent news. I, actually, I don't think it's it's a bad thing. About, this guy here, right? John Lewis, what's his name? Do you know? Who cares? I don't know who cares. We just don't know. Anyway, I think it's Corey Acute Letter, but we can't do bad surnames in the Super Mario Brothers, but uh, we'll call him Corey. Okay, so Corey, he said to himself, look, my whole life, I want want the Super Mario Brothers to mention my band. And even though we've only been around for a couple of months and he's been a band for eight years, he said eight years ago, there will be a day when Matt and Dan form their own podcast and once that happens and once they mention it and review our band, I will leave the band. And and we, we, we say, Corey, we've made your wish come true. So you're welcome, Corey. T Rocket last week was the one who wanted us to review the Allegiant album, and funny enough, I guess we found out who T Rocket is. It has to be Corey. Uh, yes, because yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's right. Yeah. The whole entire stretch of this band was waiting for our validation, and he got it from half a Super Mario Brother. He got it from Super Mario Brother Dan. Yeah. I actually agreed the album was pretty good. Just a couple of you know things that you can check out from last week that I said about it. But uh, look, yeah, I guess we can move on. We've split up our first band potentially, but uh, I guess this was unintentional, so it doesn't really count. But there's actually good news with this. If you are an interested in the band and you want to join the band, here's your chance. Actually, taking like fan surveys out, or if you want to be a, uh, if you want to be the new bass player, you just send them an email and they'll test you out and see if you've got the uh, what it takes to be a band. I member. guess they're not at poaching level yet, where they're like Metallica, where they can kind of like just have an open audition or just like they want the certain member they can go for it. There's still a level where they need to, uh, to get some, uh, in, you know, get some serious numbers. But I'm sure they'll find someone pretty soon. And uh, all the best for Legion. Well, that's, I mean, the, the, the email address you sent to is a Gmail account, so I don't think they're like breaking the bank at the moment, man. Well, I guess we've gone from one lucky if you're a bass player story to lucky if you're an unsigned band story. The Wacken Open Air Festival 2000 for next year, obviously 2017, we are in 16. They're actually looking for unsigned bands. The catch is you need to be not from Australia, Dan. Yeah, wait. Wacken? Wacken? Basinger? <laughs> <laughs> you're right, actually. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's actually a really cool thing. Yeah, so if you're an un- unsigned band, people, so that's a big key there. Unsigned band and you want to play on Wacken or Wacken or Wacken, uh, yeah, you just have to try out, unfortunately, you have to try out in America. So there's um, oh, about three cities I think you're going to do tryouts to. But if, you, if you're lucky enough to get through the stages and win, yeah, you get to play a Varken. Yeah, if you're a betting man or woman, and I think if you listen to this podcast, you probably are, you might want to take your band, you know, pay for that expensive $3,000 flight to Las Vegas, maybe try to win your money back, maybe try to get on Varken. I guess it's all, you know... It's all on the chips on the table there. Yeah, the problem is I think there's like rounds, Matt. So you might win the first round, oh. then you got to fly back again. That's how they get you. It's oh. all the on cost. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, you basically want to hope that you're really, really impressed or I'll just wait for that Lady Gaga call up. That They'll probably have you one day on a uh, special tour in Japan or something. <laughs> Fair play, yeah. We're talking about uh, Corpse Grinder now from uh, Cannibal Corpse. Now, Metal Injection have gone to the trouble of creating a podcast. Gee, they must have thought that idea by themselves. Mm. Not that they're, they're borrowing Super Mario Brothers. Hey, 
you know, we're pretty good at this, so why not let people steal from us, eh? Yeah, that's right. We, we, we have a fortune. We didn't trade market, so... At the end of the do. day, we steal everything from Bill Burke, so, like, what do we care, I guess? Simpsons, Bill Burke. Yeah, it's all <laughs> sort of the same, Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, what, what's a Corpse Grinders doing on Metal Injection at the moment? He's doing a wrestling podcast, so he likes metal, <sighs> but on the show he talks about wrestling. Now, here's the thing. Don't worry about listening to Corpse Grinders because there's only two types of metal... Sorry, there are only two types of wrestling fans out there, Danny. Really? Yeah. The first type of wrestling fan is the one who's nostalgic over the Attitude Era, right? The 90s to early 2000s, right? Now, the second type of fan is a fan who's too young or too stupid to realize how good the Attitude Era was. So, they're watching current day uh, era of wrestling and just complaining about how bad it is. Yeah. I think, yeah, we we would like to be fortunate to be the first one. And we grew up in the Attitude Era and the RC... W, I said ECW era, well, ICW local wrestlers, but the ECW attitude era where it was action-packed, man, that was really cool. Good. Yeah. They so actually wrestled, you know? That's right. There was awesome storylines. Everyone was super over, and by that, if you're not into wrestling, everyone was popular. It doesn't matter if you're on the start of the wrestling night or in the very end for the main event, but you also had competition with WCW and ECW, which was my favorite at the time and the most metal out of all of it. Literally, they were signed to a label. I think they were signed to Sony. So they came out to actual metal music to most of the people coming through. So, you know, if you want to listen to wrestling, just come to the Super Metal Brother Boys. We'll tell you all about how how good it used to be and unfortunately for you guys, unless you've got the network, how bad it is today. Yeah, exactly right. And we've mentioned metal on here. I mean, metal, of course. But we've mentioned wrestling here quite a bit with like Triple H winning the Lemmy Award and... All that stuff. Actually, talking about the Lemmy, well, apparently there's a conspiracy theory that Lemmy, Lemmy's still alive, oh. which made last, apparently the Golden Gold Awards, they give the Spirit of Lemmy Award. So technically that person should be winning the Spirit of Lemmy Award. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But yeah, metal is good. Wrestling is good. But for me, both the old school wrestling and metal is the better stuff. Yeah. We're talking about a lot that's good. But what about something that's a little bit bad? Now, asking Alexandria, asking Alexandria for people who know how to talk, not like me. Basinger. Basinger. <laughs> uh, we found out that the former vocalist was thrown under a bus. So, Danny Warshnop, official comments on rejoining the band. Producers actually come out too with some goss about it. But this is a big mess, Danny. It's basically... Just wait. Uh, it's it's like watching uh, Desperate Housewives, but uh, you know, with metal, so it's far more interesting. Definitely. I mean, they didn't literally throw them under the bus, unless there's like some hazing period you go through. Or if you leave the band, like the exit clause your contracts, and we throw you under a bus. Yeah, it's not black metal or anything where it's important <laughs> that we have front cover artwork. They're like, <laughs> we're a little uninspired this week, so uh, someone's got to go, you know? Yeah, it is funny. It's like the the current singer left, and they brought back the original singer. He apparently, at the same time, was releasing his own solo albums. So he's very busy. He's, he's loving it. Two paychecks. But yeah, there's all that bad blood, you know. Some people want to be harsh and some people say, you know, you say this, we'll say this. Nah. Yeah, so we're not really interested about that. So we're going to go to our next story with Trivium Frontman. Now, we all know the guys from Trivium are pretty, pretty awesome. But this one they want to talk about was about people were too afraid after the nightclubs, you know, with the parachuting and uh, all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about that. Uh, you know, the uh, lead guitarist from Trivium, oh, I can't remember his name, Remember his oh, name? No, so I don't, man. That's no. all right. We'll have to come back to that. Uh, he's come out and just said that um, people shouldn't be afraid to go out and do their things that they love. Um, oh, Corey. Corey, I think it is. Um, Another Corey. This Corey's everywhere. Uh, because it's what the extreme minority that you're, that are afraid that wants to do. You know, it's obviously terrorism working. When people are too scared to go out, that's terrorism working right. Now, funny enough, he was talking about the Paris attack. Then he, they were going to be driven were going to obviously grass pop. And they were actually warned because they were in Brussels at the time about the impending dangers there as well. We were there as well, Danny. Do you mm. reckon metal was uh, worth the potential terrorism? Maybe we shouldn't have gone. <laughs> no, I think it's busy in flea markets than it's in like metal, <laughs> metal kicks, So I think that's the biggest thing. Actually, the interesting story about Trivium is that Wendy Orlando 
shootings happen. They were playing in Paris. When a Paris shootings happened, they were playing in Orlando. So obviously these guys are very lucky. They got that. They've sussed out stories very quickly. So they got alibis for everything. But hey, look, I think he's correct. You can't let fear ruin you. Like I, when we went, we went to like grass popping mid year. People say, "Oh, don't go to Europe now. It's um, terrorists and blah blah blah." So no, you just. The odds of you being in a terrorist well, then you're just unlucky. You just can't let that stop you. Yeah, I won't let it stop metalheads. I mean, like, we've been in mosh pits, for crying out loud, so we're ready for anything, you know. We've been transitioned, we've been brought up to to realise that, you know, it's just it's just another way of people saying that you can't do it, you know. A bit more aggressive than, like, your parents, I must admit. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's not going to work, just like our parents didn't with us. Ouch. <laughs> Let's talk about crowdfunding a little bit more now with the band with, oh, funny enough, this is Corella now. The uh, band did a so about two years ago, it was 2015. They did a po- a basically a funding for their uh, yeah, crowdfunding, yeah, crowdfunding for mm-hmm. the latest album they were going to release, right? But it's been two years later, and um, you know fans are starting to get really upset. And even the label, the Outlook Management, which deal with periphery and stuff like that, they're out. They can't fulfill on their promises. So these guys are out, Danny. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to these loyal fans that have donated thousands and thousands of dollars? Is there any way of getting their money back? Have you backed the wrong horse? Or can you just keep keep on trying until the cops come up to your house saying, you know, receive some desist letter? Yeah, this, this is a very, um, very touchy and frustrating subject, especially for the fans because the, the, um, this band only wanted about 15 grand and it raised 33,000. So definitely made it. So the money's not a problem. They doubled it. And it over doubled it. Yeah. I mean, it's been... January is when they started campaigns. Now October next year, it's it's nearly it's about twenty two months. And poor communication from the band as well. They've 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 barely switched off. Yeah, a lot of people were starting to see the writing on the wall because they were so ambitious with what they wanted to do. It was kind of like they wanted a double length album. They wanted it to be progressive. They wanted certain maybe musicians or something. I don't know. They've obviously contextualized in their head how amazing this album was going to be until they re- you know released it. But um, I guess the joke's on everyone else because they might not release it. Yeah, I mean, according to like, their contract, these crowdfunding things, like, you have to uh, go forward with your promise or your crowdfunding, um, whatever whatever the proper terminology is for it, you have to go through with what it is. So if they don't go through, yeah, technically it is legal trouble. But it's the, the fans gave you the money because they want to see an album. Just do the album, you know? So uh, we'll see. It's almost like they probably got to a level of seeing like, oh, wow, we're getting paid for doing absolutely nothing and no one's getting hurt, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, come on, guys. This is like really, really soft. So, you know, we want to see those fans get their money back and we definitely want to say, hey, look, if Corella released an album tomorrow and this is all a big practical joke, then, you know, joke's on us and we just wasted two minutes of your life on our podcast, I guess. Yeah, so go, go start a crowdfunding campaign. Stop wasting our time. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see our brothers off the air. <laughs> they keep bringing up irrelevant stories. Hey, if, they, if, they, if they give us their money, all right, then we finally get paid. I'll leave. Now, who's excited here about the All Shall Parish original-ish lineup that's been announced? Um, I guess to you know catch everyone to speed, we'll talk about the members that are playing. Now, we've got uh, Hernan uh, Hermida, Craig Betty. Uh, the guitarist Ben Oram and Chris Story and drummer Matt Kukuldow. Now, this is important because a lot of people, especially with the album they released in 2008 called Awaken the Dreamers, uh, saw a lot of potential with this band, you know, with the lineup thing together. Chris Story is being notorious for being the guitarist that basically is inspired, some say ripped off very heavily, uh, our friend on the axe, um, I can't remember his name now. So, Long hair plays in Un- Underworld, that band. Dun, 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 dun. Underworld? No, not Underworld. Russell, uh, Michael Romeo. No, keep going. Uh, he's, like a, he's like a shred guitarist, long hair. 
Oh my god! <laughs> how, every, how hard is it, Danny? That's all of them. All oh, right, okay. Uh, you're not talking about Michelangelo. No, no, but he's cool uh, like that. He goes like the riff goes dun 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 dun. No, we have the. I'm sorry, Matt. But he, he's ripped off some of those. Yeah. So basically, uh, he, was, he was basically taught from this guy, and um, you know, he's gonna he, he did his thing with uh, with that, and the people were really looking forward to this because they released the album Waking the Dreamers. People really got excited. The band split up. So, Danny, what's it like to have a band that you like, um, potential like the album of the year, possibly, and then to see all those members kind of dissipate and like what could have been? Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely frustrating. It's very, very more frustrating if you don't even see the band live. Like, I think the biggest band that I kind of liked and I thought their first album was really great and just kind of went away by the wayside was um, Biomechanical. I thought their first album was... Um, which is actually great. Like I thought it was one of the best albums which came out. Sounded cool. It's got that whole like thrash, groovy riffs to it. And I was really excited. Then the second album they came out was mm, production was terrible and uh, they used a lot of like I don't know, good stuff in the first album to do repeats. So they were doing repeats in the second album, I guess Rise Better War and then Everybody went by the wayside because the lead singer, I guess, was one of those ego-type dudes and et cetera, and in a four-peter pieces, unfortunately. So, yeah, it can be great. You finally, you know, there's a lot of bands out there to so find a band you really love and then they decide to, like, you know, make you look for another band because they don't want to work together more. It's really um, really frustrating. I mean, there was a band we just got into recently called Nails. We all thought that they were, um, we just got into them. They thought they were going to hiatus. And apparently, no, the non hires they just canceled a couple of shows and they didn't worry about telling anyone they went, that's what they were doing. Everybody started freaking out. I think, oh man, they can't be now. They're calling it. They're going. They're going to break. And they're like, like a couple of weeks later, I thought, oh, we better tell the people. We just like canned three shows. So, you no, know, they're back together. But yeah, no, nah, it's really frustrating. I really um, yeah, you really, you really want to get into bands. You really want to. Rusty Cooley. That was oh, his name, geez. Rusty Cooley. I was thinking all this time what the guy's name was, and uh, yeah, it was Rusty Cooley. So let's talk about. The next. I think I did the best I can to like um, delay until you found out he was Rusty Cooley. Oh my god, that was hilarious. I am so bad at this gig. David Draham disturbed. Now we're going to talk about him a little bit later on in the show again as well. But he's got uh, basically assaulted because he was on stage and this massive amount of fabric smashed him in the face later to reveal to be a brassiere or a mm. bra for those who uh, weren't growing up in their mother's basement, aka Superman Brother Dan. Oh. Now, uh, he had to say, you know, this woman's boobs are quite big and this could solve world hunger. Danny, is this true? Right. Apparently, it was actually video footage. I never saw video footage because you know, it's not my mobile phone and... You know, you don't want to you don't want to support people using phones at gigs, man. I'm a massive Corey Taylor fan. Yeah. You just can't do it, you know. You guys come back to two weeks ago to say, get out, taste on uh, what we think about mobile phones at gigs and the etiquette. Yeah. We actually put this to the fans and at least 15 people had to comment about, no, there is a procedure in place and I think we need to get together as a community to uh, finally discover what's the right way of being at a gig. Yeah, but going back to this heavyset lass, look, I don't know, it might have just a person decided to buy a joke bra and throw on stage, or it might be a heavyset lass. I mean, it's a lot of effort to take off a brass like in a gig. You go people like all around you, it's really hard to like move and make room to like undo the bra. So I think she she needs credit just for being able to unmove under a bra while in the in a gig. Yeah. So we're going to finish it off with Steve Harris. Now, everyone knows Steve Harris. So if you don't, plays bass player for Iron Maiden. If you don't even know that, you're not doing yourself any favours by checking him out because, like, you know, it's Iron Maiden. Oh, <laughs> ouch, ouch. Don't tell Hoagie. <laughs> don't tell Andrew Hoag. Say Daniel sent you. We're going to talk about Iron Maiden now because this is something very, very cool and I love seeing these from bands that have established themselves very, very, you know, to a big community. Even though I don't like Iron Maiden on a stylistic point, I do like the ideology. What am I, you know, stalling about? Because they've come out and said that it's just plain wrong 
to make bands pay to be on slots. Now, we know firsthand, Dan, that bands who are coming up pay a lot of money to be on bands who are well-established, not Metallica-established, but well-established, right? And they need to pay a lot of money. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, this is very noble. That Steve Harris, he finds it not polite, not correct that... You know, but you're established. I mean, they're they're really established. They've got tons of money coming. They they don't need any more money. They're just doing it for fun now. And they said, look, if you want to play with us, we'll be on our bill. You know, we just we just want you on our bill. Like, and to the point, they said, look, if you're on our bill, you should actually be getting paid because you know you have expenses. You should be getting a bit of reimbursement as well. So, and that's great to hear. But you're right. A lot of these, I guess, middle range bands. I think they they see as another source of income that if you want to play on their bill or open for them or be in their festival you actually have to pay to play and it's actually every like show like you, see, yeah. you, you play to pay on every show not just like a one and off fee so yeah it can be can be quite expensive especially if you're a small band where there's no like income stream yeah so when you're going to see an Iron Maiden show and a band pops up they're actually you know making sure that they're going to be hopefully doing well because they'll take that revenue home uh, from merch and then have to pay go upwards and pay upstairs for it so you're actually giving an opportunity and this is this is the weirdest thing because they're playing to such a big mm. big amount of people that you would think this is a chance for them to pay to be on it because there would be so much competition but yeah. it just shows that Iron Maiden are willing to bring up people from the bottom and to make sure they're giving the best opportunity and look that is just really, really cool. So horns up, everyone, for yeah. Steve Harrison and I made right now because that was really, really awesome. Yeah. And the rest of your band, stop being dicks, all right? Yeah, stop making us pay to be on players' things. But that's okay. We'll move on to our feature presentation now because we've got lots to talk about. Because David Draham's come out again and talked about um, you know, his kid. He's went on to interview with a big uh, music metal uh, magazine, and they asked him, you know, about his kid, and would he recommend his kid getting into music? Now, David Drams from Disturbed, the lead singer from Disturbed, said he would strongly suggest that his son stay out of the music industry. Right now, don't go. He's just recommending to his son, like he would never tell him what to do. You just guide him. That was his own words, not mm. mine. But it's a difficult road to travel, and uh, you know. But if it brings him life meaning, so so what, you know? So that's what we're here to do tonight, Daniel. Say David Draham was our son, or David Draham's son was our son, right? Right. Yeah. And we wanted to give him or her, maybe, you know, we are in a gender-fluid yeah, society, it, you know, yeah. there's at least 64 that we know of. Could be, could be more. <laughs> like 200 now or something. There's actually I mean, less, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about... What the advice we would give to David Draham's son if he were our own. So, what are the pros of getting into music right now, Danny? Give me one off the top of your head. Well, pros, you definitely have to go with the tried and true classic of groupies, man, and ladies. Yeah, see, if you've grown up to be a super bold brother or ugly, this is your chance of losing your virginity. Now, you could get into a band at 25 or 45, and you're still going to hopefully find someone who feels sorry enough for you to want to do the vertical monster mash or horizontal if they're a bit tired. Yeah, definitely. So, that, that's that's always a pro. And unless you want to be a priest, then it's just an annoyance. So, that'll be a con, I guess. Mm. Yeah, you also got things like, you know, you can express your artistic talent, which is cool. You know, whatever you're feeling on the day, you can get that out. Yes. You get to hang out with cool people because, you know, they're into heavy music. You're into heavy music. The fans are into heavy music, right? Yeah. But I'm thinking what's more important is the possible action figure tie-in that we've seen oh, come out. Oh, that's great. I can't believe you Borg had an action figure. That'd be, imagine that. That'd be, that's like the ultimate dream. That or a bobblehead. If you can get, like... I mean, you can, you can get your own bobbleheads made, but if you someone actually went out there to build, buy your bobblehead and made it as a custom, like on the shelf, you buy off the shelf, that'd be freaking sweet. So, yeah, 
Yeah, you're looking at kind of kiss selling out, you know, where you can get a clock made out of you or a Monopoly game. I mean, to be to nominate yourself as Mayfair is basically like kinning yourself in like checkers, you know, or uh, you know, saying it's uh, my ball and taking it home with you. So these things are very important when establishing your band. You need to figure out how you're going to sell out. Because that's really important in music, I guess. Oh yeah, selling out—that's that's selling out is great. <laughs> yeah, that, that, you means you've made it. You actually can like eat more than two meals a day. So selling out—if you can—if you have that sellout band level, then you've definitely made it, man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You need, the money you can get potentially to to get out of you know living under your uh, under a bridge or your mum's basement is more important than anything right now. To do it, playing the things you love. I guess this is a way of telling little David Drahan that this is a good industry to get into if that's if music is what you like doing. I mean, if you're really like I've been after you travel the world, you get meet new people, new cultures, yeah, express yourself a lot. You know, you might get mugged overseas. That's always an experience. You know, you write that down in your journal. It's always oh, good. That's right. But it's not, you got to look at it this way as being part of the culture. So you never that's were right. really mugged. You had an experience given to you for free that might have taken some of your money. Oh, that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, when you go like a tour around, uh, city tour, you have to pay to be on a tour. This is the same thing. You've you've done your own tours. You've you've walked the streets, right. walked the attractions, and you're robbed. That is you just paying for doing the tour. What a way of valuing life when you had it thrust upon you so quickly and deciding without having any money and not knowing the native language. I mean, that's just beautiful, isn't it? It is. It's it's, it's what connects the world together. So all these things are being pros. Like who would not want to be a musician in this day and age? Unfortunately, Mr. David Dram Jr. There are some things you're going to need to think about if pursuing blast beats is a career option for you. Now, what's one thing, Danny, that comes to your mind right now, a con being in the music industry at this current moment? Uh, I guess going back to that money thing is that you don't really make money. <laughs> yeah, look, the 90 to 95% of you out there aren't going to make three meals a day money. You know, enjoy your ramen noodles, enjoy your mom's bedroom, or if you can't even afford that, enjoy your mom's bed. I'm sorry, that comes with the therapy bills, which you can't afford because you're playing metal music. Yeah, so you need to like go to Dr. Phil and hopefully one day someone has the same problem you have. So you get like a three therapy session, yeah. Yeah, so money's going to be an issue, right, for 90% of you. I mean, you are David Dre's son, so I guess you're going to be lucky in that thing unless he like decides that he's not happy with you anymore and he will like, you know, get rid of you for another David Dre because I'm sure he's David Dre, right? Like, why wouldn't he? He's a stubborn little bastard, so. Yeah, uh, not David Dre, he probably has pictures or photos of all over his house just so they can keep looking back in the, the mirror saying yes I am that great yes so I think some people out there are maybe possibly too ugly or too untalented or just too Superman brother Matt to even lose their virginity as a guitarist so being in a band might not lead to relations and then that might lead to you being back to you know the internet and uh, I guess the internet doesn't fail to deliver yeah and the problem is that if you get going to the next thing you have really bad RSI means that those lonely Choose a nice becoming more lonelier. Yeah, so basically you'll be in your bedroom screaming. Your parents will think that you're doing a killer track, but it's just you trying to masturbate yourself <laughs> to death. And uh, I'm really sorry about that image, but uh, it's things you need to be important, influenced about because these decisions aren't taken lightly when coming to uh, to being, I guess, into the music industry right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, definitely right. Here's another thing. I mean, like being signed, that's not going to be happening as a an artist as well. So most of these people come independent. So it would mean, yeah, you get save a bit of money out of that, but you'll be doing hours and hours and hours of people who you know and love, which might record with you, which might not, which means you're back to square one all the time. We've talked this bit before, the cycle of being in a band where it's just like you meet them, you have stuff with them, you break up, they take the kids, then you give away your, all that money you're doing and you wash, rinse, repeat, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that I think also David's also a bit upset because normally you see like all these old school music like in a rock field, you know, like Deep Purple and Maiden and Russia. They all have like nice long full hair, even if they're in the sixties and seventies. But poor David, he he went bold, I guess, quite early. So he's probably thinking this that's all bull. That's a con. Con, I lost my hair because of like of music. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, there you go, little David Draham. When you get a chance to be able to listen to this, and I'm sure you will. You know, someone's lovely enough going to throw you onto it. Good luck, you know. Good luck making a decision out of that. It does look a little bit bleak, but, you know, if you're just so in love with writing three-chord songs or you've got your girl problems or you've got girl problems because you've got no money, which leads to more, even more girl problems and even more money being lost, um, yeah, music's the best outlet for it. So, good luck, dude. Oh, that's it. I mean... Unless you suck, if you suck, well then. Oh, you suck, then yeah, like don't worry about. It. There's yeah. no, there's no pros. Nah. No pros. Uh, apart from like, if you get it to retail, yeah. <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> I mean, sometimes if you go out, you might get a ride, or you might get a free pitcher of beer. I mean, that that'll be your only con, I guess. Free beer, but the only problem is that free beer costs you three thousand dollars in guitars, strings, and amps. So oh, that's that's, that's how they get you. Yeah. <laughs> it's the add-on cost again. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and review the Meshuggah album called The Violent Sleep of Reason. Now, this was obviously released fairly recently, Dan, and it's a big one on a lot of people's radars. Everyone's excited to hear about Meshuggah. Danny, are you a Meshuggah fan? Yes or no? It's one of those bands where I've always said to myself, I need to listen to more of their things. I only listen to like songs every now and then, but I've never really listened to that many full albums. So I don't know why. I've just never done it. I guess sometimes with me, Meshuggah, because it, it can be a bit low and slow tempo, I can get a bit like... Mm, Drain, same, same. So, unfortunately, this is probably the first time I've, I've really properly listened to a full Metallica album. So, I guess you can't say I'm not really, not really that big of a fan. I'm the opposite. So, get ready, fans. I have bought every album since Destroy Race and Prove, and they went to back catalog afterwards. But ever since they were released from that year onwards, I would make sure that it would be one in my my catalog that I would own. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I've seen life cover two or three times because I saw them Soundwave, saw like two times Soundwave once when they came down with Lamb of God. And look, they're great live. I love them live. I love, their, I love those songs. But yeah, it's just one of those things they've got around to. So let's talk a little bit about the album, just a bit of bio before we you know get neck deep into some brutality. Now, The Violent Sleeper Reason is the eighth full-length album from the Swedish metal giants known as Meshuggah. The album was actually recorded live simultaneously with all members. This is a little different because we've actually reviewed a lot of bands here today or in other previous episodes, and they actually record a section or an instrument, and then they'll go ahead and put all those individually, push them all together. But this was actually recorded all together, which actually for me, I didn't really notice at first because their productions are always so good, but it's there. So that's kind of cool, Dan. Yeah, I mean, they're they doing the songs like in one take, is that what you're trying to say, or they just... No, they just did it all together, though. So they might have done it in cool. uh, seven or eight takes, but they were takes that they did together rather than, you know, it could have been one take by the drummer by himself or it could have been seven takes by the drummer by himself, whatever. So that's admirable because if one player were to then screw up, everyone would have to go back from the very, very start. Mm. Maybe they're just so comfortable now doing these yeah. songs that they can just do this together. Yeah, they're that good, these guys. I mean, it, actually, to be fair, it all comes down to how good Mr. Hate goes with his drums because some of the drumming here is pretty intense. You know, this album's gotten a lot of good reviews, but there has been some people from the sidelines a little bit concerned about where Meshuggah's direction's been heading lately. And uh, we're here to give you either the, yeah, we agree with the, with the majority of the metalheads out there, or do we start to see cracks showing in this metal behemoth? So let's actually go through our five lists, but we're going to reverse order this because 
what Meshuggah are are money bands. So we're going to go from the production first, Danny, tonight because it's important to go through the top to bottom this one because I think that people want to hear about what we have to say about the rest of this album because that's what Meshuggah Ooh. are. Right? So, wow, man, you just like changed the ball game. I had, this is new. Get ready. Production, Danny. This is Meshuggah, right? I just let you know that I had nothing to say with this. Matt pulled seniority and rank on me on this. So we have to we have to sit here and listen to this. So everyone goes pear-shaped shit, man. Oh, absolutely. So, Daniel, what the production? This is a Meshuggah album. The last five albums, surely, have shown you how strength to strength they've gone. Is this another one for you that definitely takes the cake? Or is it just a little bit meh? Uh, again, like, I'm not really like the, the, the full-on list of the last five albums or so. So just purely going on this album here... Um, Production-wise, they don't use too many bells and whistles like other bands you've done in the past. They, here, they've actually done a bit of a white noise in one of the endings of a song, and that's about all, really. But most, most of it's just pretty just, here's the instruments, here's our playing ability, will go nuts. I mean, they're very cool because they have the ability to um, give either the bass or the drum or the guitar their time to shine and their chance to um, either do a solo or drive the groove of the bass with. So they're, they're able to like go between the other instruments to... Um, Give the sound songs different personal sounds to a degree, yeah. Production for Meshuggah right now, they've got it down to a T. What they've done since the Nothing album, and you could argue before it if you wanted to with Chaos Fear, is they had a certain identity, a certain sound that they were just getting better and better. Some bands are more about innovation in the sense that they'll try a newer concept in the sense they'll try different styles and that. But I think what Meshuggah have done, have taken what they're doing and making it better and bigger, you know? And this is definitely one of their best productive uh, production sounds I've heard because everything's so clear, very crisp. It's very heavy. And I think maybe even more organic, you could say, because I was arguing last week how Legion's album sounded a little bit dead, but I can't really say the same with this album because it feels more organic and it feels like things are actually being played together, which they were, which I found out. But also that, they're relaxed. Like they have a certain feel that sits just behind the beat, but it also just drives a little bit as well. Maybe from Thomas Hank more so, but uh, yeah, good good overall with the production. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Like again, it's it, it's funny because like I've said, mate, sometimes it has that muddy feel to it. And I guess like you've suggested because it's such a low key or low tuning on the guitars, it, it automatically has that really deep distortion. Sometimes you, you feel like it's, it can be a bit tricky to listen to, but look, if a decent sound system, decent bass on your system, you actually can get things quite clearly and hear it quite well. So we're gonna, yeah. So we're gonna move on. We obviously love the production; it's fine. It's Meshuggah album. You're gonna love it. But the grooves on the album now, Meshuggah are the grooviest band probably in metal at this very much point in time. They are the masters of putting notes where they sh- not only should be put, but they must be put. And the the beauty of it is that you wouldn't expect them to be put there, though. So they come at a surprise, and I guess that's what Meshuggah's charm is, that they always do things, like put things in certain situations that, that strike you, but because their tone from productions is so strong and clear and punches you so much that uh, it all works so well together. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's very technical. I guess someone who got a bit of jazz background can understand where the song structures are coming from, but there is the natural groove to it, of course. like The way they change their, I guess, time changes, or they do things on the offbeat, and they hold notes a bit longer or so a bit of a swing feel to it or they do a bit of bends in the guitars and bass it just does a change the tempo so but that's far. the thing they don't change time signatures that's the thing that oh. their trick is they give you the illusion so it's basically like having a mirage where you think you're looking at this gorgeous water and you know lush green patties of of forgiveness but you know you're still stuck in the desert and it's just brutal they're just doing the 4-4 thing with the symbols but mm. they're 
what they're so good at now is giving you the illusion because they move those notes in certain ways and manipulate it. And Thomas Hake's very comfortable on drums to push things and pull things where he needs to. And that's, again, the grooves here are very strong. It's just Meshuggah being Meshuggah oh, now. Yeah, I mean, pretty much when before I, I, I listen to the album, you have to fit out with the fuck do that. Like each song track, you feel like, is it groovy? And I just wrote yes at the start of all of it. I didn't have to yeah. listen to song. I just know them and groove especially tracks one three eight and nine for me they were the most grooviest of all tracks i mean earthworm jim himself would say it so so <laughs> good stuff yeah, yeah that's good uh we've gone through those production and grooves being more than fine diversity now anyone's familiar with i guess Meshuggah lab in the last 10 years have found well that sound is so iconic and so heavy and it's so low that diversity is a bit of a tricky one to kind of distinguish i think dan yeah, I think what they're very clever is that, I mean, a lot of the songs, they pace the same. So you kind of sometimes feel like it's the same song because, again, they're very, what they do underneath with their instruments is quite tricky and quite a lot. So it, it would probably take a lot, of, a lot, a lot of listeners to actually hear everything. But I think what they do well to, like, maybe stop you thinking the songs have the same sound, the same pace, the same grooves, that a lot of the intros are very different. So they're either really big on the guitars, really big on the drums, really big on the bass. They make the intro slightly different. And then, it goes back into that like standard type of groove feel in the verses. So I think that's the way they kind of get around it. And I agree with Danny on this. And the looking in the booklet would actually confirm any biases you might have because Thomas Hake is on everything. Not only is he on the lyrics for all these albums, but he's also on the actual writing of the music. And you can really tell that a drummer wrote a lot of these songs because they're just very much about the drummer getting out what he needs to get out and the, and the guitarist making sure they're doing enough to make sure that they're plugging along with the drums. So diversity is in its subtlety in a sense because it really is a heavy album and if you don't like mm. that sound that crushes you uh, it might be hard I heard a review I was listening to the guy from uh, Feared which is Ola um, he's also in Haunted right and he said this album has like got those real heavy and evil sounding tunes but I would disagree I think it does generally have some of those evil elements but I think it's just more about like Dean was saying before how it's just groovy the whole thing's just like oh yeah that's that, that nods your head up, but um, that's the thing, I think, with other albums, which I like more, I think. Now, as I hate to say it now, I was give away my cards, but uh, with Coloss, for example, where there's more of a angular, angry, evil sound to the album, where I found this one's a bit more of a nod your head onto it. It's like some of those stylistic choices are definitely not uh, about setting up. Even though this was an album about a concept, it didn't really feel like it to me sometimes. It just kind of felt like it was just going through the motions. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with like track six or seven. They kind of have a, a um, even though they're long songs, like all the songs here are quite long, all like over four, five, six, seven minutes, whatever. For track six or seven, they just have a very similar like cyclic feel to the whole song. Uh, they're heavy and they sound great. I'm just saying that diversity is not strong cover songs. It's going to be hard for a diversity of last previous albums from sure because they actually quoted themselves as saying that they went back in the past for this one and they wanted to bring some of that back to it. And I can kind of hear to a degree, like with tracks two, Born in Dissonance, yeah, that's kind of like a Chaos Fear kind of throwback intro. Or, you know, Clockworks had some of that uh, maybe Destroy, Erase, Improve kind of thing. But it's not quite as fast or as energetic as some of those apart from maybe track eight you could argue with um nostrum that has a bit more energy to it however diversity is gonna be hard you're gonna basically if you're a sugar fan you know you're gonna know what this album sounds like before you've heard it yeah they do um they, they try to break up the songs again being long songs they do break up like tempo changes different instruments come to the front so they can um have the different sounds so they do the things like they do like pauses or they do like the little solos in there as well 
So they do try to break up the songs and put a bit of it into it, but the same, they really just rely on that big, strong groove feel in all their verses, and they try just to change out each song to um, make it different. So diversity again, it's it's gonna if you're a Meshuggah fan, it'll do enough for you to listen mm. to the whole album. Uh, if you're not, I don't know if this album's gonna do much to, to influence you if you've heard anything beforehand because it really is Meshuggah being Meshuggah, right? Yeah, I think it's fair. Look, unless you you're very good musician and you understand what's happening and hear what they're doing, then you'd be like, wow, that's really cool. But for most of us who just like to hear some good songs, good roofs, yeah, it, it can. It can have that similar feel to it at times. So, yeah. so, so let's talk about the vocals right now. And again, this is a Meshuggah album. Um, the vocals sound great. You know, he, he goes to every note. He's got a lot of, pulls a lot out, you know. It has a lot of attack, a lot of aggression. And it's kind of the thing like why I really want bands like Allegiant and that to kind of go with these guys and see how they get the production to sound. Not only so big and organic, but also have that aggression pull through all the whole entire time. Um yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome, you know. His scream is so engaging. I can listen to it all day because it's just so just fun and it's natural. Yeah, you can see like Jens Kevin on stage with his sporadic dance moves and his bottom jawline like protruding oh. out to catch any rain falling. So he, he does that. He does that. Well, look, you right, he has, you have, if you love his tone, then you'll love it. You love him. If you don't like his tone, well, fortunately, that's that's what he has. But that's right. he does have that ability to like, he gets a bit deep and growled, has kind of nearly a scream, I guess you call it, like high pitched scream, sort of. But he has a, does a really good strong tone. He has a really good feel. He actually, you really feel like he, you feel what he's singing about, and his phrasing's like fantastic. I mean, like they, these songs aren't easy to sing over or to to get a feel to him. But for him to like how he phrases and how he does sing over the songs it, and the tone and how he holds his notes when he needs to and yeah. not it, 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 it's it's really hard I don't think anyone else could do it you couldn't imagine anyone else doing it either this guy is designed for I think at one point he was actually playing guitar but he had to step away from it because he found that the songs were getting so mathematical and so confusing yeah. that so he had to spend full time concentrating on it and I bet he's better for it he gives a good mm. stage performance from it too he's one of the most uh, more organic and more engaging musicians when you see him live and energetic for sure mm. But he just gives such a great delivery and such a great performance. Again, though, if you don't like what he's done previously before, then this album's not going to sell you on it. He doesn't do much else to separate it, but he does it better. Yeah, definitely. It is a strong tone, and I give him full credit for him. Yeah, his ability. So you can see right now that we're actually propping this thing up quite high. You know, we're really quite enjoying what they've got to offer from the production to how they mix up the songs a little bit. But the grooviness factor is all kept in there, so you're always bopping your head. The riffs, though. This is the thing about Meshuggah. Everything either is lifted up or crumbled by its own weight when it comes to the riffs. And Danny, in general, guitar work on this album, do, would you would say it's one of the strongest from the band or something about these riffs that just kind of get under your skin a little bit? Uh, yeah, not hear tons and tons of their songs. I can't really say, I can't really go based on the past. I, I like the way you're hinting to the second one. So I'm saying that's how you feel like. Purely based on this album, what I've heard, I feel like um, guitar-wise, they're probably not that, exploratory in their sense i mean more so that against the drumming which is the um main main emphasis on you know, musicianship here all right i'm gonna say apart from clockworks and nostrum right now maybe even our page won't die this is Meshuggah's biggest strength and possibly a weakness now people are going to disagree with me on this and that's fine their biggest strength is where to put notes but their weakness at times can be what notes they should actually be. And these guys are very guilty on this album of picking certain riffs that the grooves are fine, right? The notes hit where they're supposed to, but some of those melodic choices are just so bizarre and 
nonsensical that are actually, you think like, what were they doing? Did they go to a piano, went to their kids, like pick seven notes and we're going to put it into an awesome group because they don't make any sense. There's no resolution. There's no intensity. There's no, it doesn't pull you as a listener to a certain uh, chordal passage. It's just, it's just randomness. And I, I, th- I thought it was a joke. I was like, is I don't get this riff. It's just stupid. Wow, that's pretty strong. Look, I would, I would tend to agree with you when it comes to their solos. Because to me, their solos, that they'll, they'll keep like with their slow, um, drawn-out like, bass and drum-like groove feel. But over the top, would be like a yeah, frenzied guitar-like sporadic high-pitched noise. That I guess it gives the tension, it gives the contrast. But at the same time, you listen to it, like, I don't, yeah, I don't really know what's, what's happening here. But the other thing is, with Coloss, there were certain songs off that album that had like, they were kind of focused around a key center to a degree. So certain like riffs or licks had a place somewhere in like music land but some of these for me i just i think it was like by the ton and violent sleep a reason there were like risks towards the start of the song and they were literally just i i, I was like why don't there's no emotion that's portrayed across from it you know especially for a concept album i would have assumed that they were telling a story or something like that but uh, i just got it i'm like i don't get it i've it doesn't do anything. There's no anger. There's no angular, like uh, diminished, evil kind of sounding minor thing. It's just a bunch of notes they put together and they're like, here you go. And you're like, well, well am I going to eat this or do I have to have sex with it? I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with it, you know? It's like, yeah, you just put a dice and roll it and whatever you get, it's what you kind of make with it. So this album's got the money riffs on it. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, my life's better for having songs like Clockworks and Nostrum in it, right? But they're Montreux just- City. Montreux City. Oh, Montreux City. Sorry. Yeah, my apologies. Um, but- after that, there's some tracks on this which I did not really care for too much. And if I had them live, I'd be upset because I'd be missing out on some of the Elmer Sugar albums that I really like. Yeah, that's fair to say. I, I mean, by the time which track four, has, they have heavy sex, heavy section. A lot of the times they have heavy parts. Actually, the funny thing about track four, if you listen to it, it, it makes you, the, 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 the walking like, bass line, I guess you call it, it makes it sound like we're like we're here to solve a mystery. It has that feel to the song. It's like even the Scooby like gang, and we're trying to solve a mystery. We're currently solving. Do you it. think that was their intention? I mean, they're oh, talking no, about pretty like, like political things on this. When I saw Thomas Hank interviews, talking a lot about terrorism and the way it originally goes about you know creating this dystopian world where it's always going to be conflict and you know all that great stuff that uh, you know that uh, all religions um, could be, uh, maybe guilty of doing, maybe not. You know that's that's for debate another time. But uh, did you get that across by listening to these riffs? Uh, nah, see, no, I, I didn't. Like, they were confusing. I like, religion <laughs> can be confusing at times. No, so, I, I guess I'm like, yeah, I've sat there going, well, you know, I don't get how some people kill other people by picking the, the certain sections out of the Bible or the Quran, then ignoring all the other awesome stuff. You know, that's mm. kind of like, no, that resonates with me. Yeah, non believers should perish. What about that forgiveness stuff? Well, that's not really relevant, you know? So, maybe when it comes to that kind of stuff when they were talking about, but that's not, I don't see that as a point as, um, that's what they were trying to do with the riffs, surely. Yeah, oh, maybe not, man. Yeah, you could be right. Uh, so, yeah. did, did you like the riffs? Like, do, uh, is every riff off this album like Coloss, where you just cannot wait for the next one to come up and smash in the face, or were there just some parts in there, Danny, where you're like, oh, that's that happened, or I didn't get anything? Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. There's a lot of parts where I start switching off because I feel like it has the same pacing, the same like general vibe to the song. So there, there are a couple of songs like before which I, I love and like yeah I really like it actually track 9 it feels like it's probably the closest I'll get to a rock song Ooh. like they, they don't do rock songs of course but which is our, our rage won't die for me that seems like it's their version of a rock song if you can understand what I'm saying but look I, I thought the riffs yeah, they had some really good riffs in there some good songs but I wouldn't say it's, it's like you know like wow 
Yeah. Album. So, like, the worst thing is, though, like, Meshuggah at their very worst is still, like, a great band. Uh, that's a frustrating thing it is because they are so sh- solid and strong that when they're ri- giving out these songs and riffs sometimes that uh, it's they're still some of them can be really, very memorable and the drumming and the musicians always top quality no matter what instrument there is. It's breathtaking and very interesting and engaging. I just found that certain, certain riffs of this album just did not do anything for me and in fact, would take away from the whole entire song. So, you know, that's my 10 cents on it. Yeah, I think that's a bit harsh, but uh, I agree. Like, yeah, it's a good, very good to very good album. Don't deny that. I mean, again, more you listen to me, more will appreciate it, but at the same time, I do switch off a lot because I feel like it. Yeah. So uh, what you guys want to do is just check out that's in the, towards the end of the year because we're actually going to do our top ten at the end of the year, and I have a feeling this will creep up on the list when we give it to more listeners. To it, and we probably will. I just found that um, there were some dissenting, like Anthony Vantano, some guys like that who are the independent scene who gave this actually album a bit more of a critique on it. And I know that labels are going to give this thing a, a tongue lashing because these guys are at the saviors of metal right now. They're the biggest things going around. They're the ones making the most money and they're the most innovative, right? And I, for me, I just think that, um, you know, not every song off this was an absolute hit. But uh, again, when they're on fire, they're some of the best songs they've ever written. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, if you're a Sugar fan, you'll definitely listen not to it. You, you will enjoy album. it. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a Meshuggah fan and bought the album right now, there is just no excuse because you won't be disappointed from it. Uh, even when you are disappointed, you're going to find things about your love. This isn't one of those albums that they've completely hit a wall and you're like worried about their future. For me, it's just an album that they tried some stuff out. They tried to go back to the past a bit. Didn't quite work for me, but uh, I got a couple of good songs out of it, so uh, no one gets hurt. You can have your, you can have your dog back now, uh, Thomas. Hake. <laughs> good job, good job. So uh, I guess that brings us to the end of our Super Metal Brother podcast, Danny. Yeah, definitely. I had fun. Jeff, I met. I had a great time actually. I love talking about Meshuggah. Um, I love talking about that. Uh, you know, hopefully David Dreyam Jr. Uh, doesn't, uh, you know, consider other options apart from uh, music, or maybe he does. Who cares, right? It's his kid. Hey, the kid's only three. So if he understands what we said now, gee, that kid's going places. <laughs> music. You don't have to worry about music. You probably nah. transcended the genre anyway. So. Um, I guess next week, Danny, we're actually going to change it up with a power metal album. We actually yeah. have had Sabaton on the on the uh, podcast, but we're going to talk about Ripper Owens' latest thing, Charred Walls of Damned. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. a bit of a bit of a breakup, a bit of a change. So we we do listen to other things. So I'm keen to hear this. Yeah, the end of this year, I just found releases after releases, and we've had actually had a hard time catching up. I know some people want to hear our thoughts on the latest In Flames album when it comes out as well, and we're sure to do it. But uh, we were going to make sure that uh, we, on the radar we had Ripper Owens. He's a big, iconic member of the metal community, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to do. Yeah, definitely. So with that in mind, thank you guys for listening so much. You couldn't have been doing anything with your night tonight. I hope you were. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us on the Super Metal Brother podcast. And until next week, I'm Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. We have been the Super Metal Brothers. Cheers, guys, for listening. We will catch you next week.